Hello and welcome to Season 5 of the Her Story Speaks podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing sacred and powerful stories of women who have too often gone unheard, but are most often the ones we need to be listening to. As always, I'm your host, Andrea Miller, and I'm joining you from Kansas City, Missouri, on the native lands of the Ka and Kickapoo Nations. If you want to know whose indigenous land you are on, which I encourage you to, please go to native-land.ca. Okay, so before we get into today's episode, the first one of season five, I just want to thank you for being here, and if you are new to this space, then welcome. It's hard for me to believe it's been nearly five years ago I started this podcast. If you've been here for a while, you know this podcast has changed quite drastically from its beginning. What started as a Christian conservative podcast is now anything but that, as my own eyes have opened to the oppression of white supremacy and the harm of patriarchal religions. Over the last few seasons of the podcast, the stories I've shared have changed me and led to even deeper levels of my own healing and awakening. This new season of the podcast is no exception, as we dive into the topic of liberation and what that looks like for all bodies as we heal and divert from systems of oppression. I get personal in some of these episodes with my own wounds and healing journey, as I have some super vulnerable conversations with my guests. That said, the episodes in this season will have very little editing and censoring of words. I will give trigger warnings, but be warned that the language may often not be suitable for young ears. We get real real in some of these conversations. So without further ado, I'm thrilled to introduce you to my first guest to kick off season five of the podcast, LaVon Briggs. As an Emmy Award winner, body and sex positive woman of spiritualist, LaVon has quite the resume and credentials. She's a writer, pastor, preacher, spiritual life coach, and a highly sought after transformational speaker and seminar leader. As a TEDx speaker, she has been featured in Essence, Cosmopolitan, The Washington Post Magazine, and Sojourners named her one of the 11 top women shaping the church in March 2019. Briggs is a graduate of the Lawrenceville School, Seton Hall University, Yale Divinity School, and Columbia Theological Seminary. In this episode, LaVon joins me to talk about her new book, Sensual Faith, and her journey of coming home to her body. LaVon's book, as well as our conversation, is super vulnerable as we talk about breaking free from body shame, sexual shame, and purity culture. She shares her story of discovering a healthy approach to spirituality and sexuality that centers pleasure rather than shame. So grab a seat and listen in on my conversation with LaVon Briggs. So much for coming on my gosh it's like oh, you have like other you. things you'd probably rather be doing than talking to some white woman so i'm well aware of that you know what a white woman who wants to talk to me is a white woman i want to talk to so <laughs> so this is i've taken a break a couple of months off the podcast so this is like you're kicking off my new season and i can't think of any really anything better because i'm like every season i think this will be season four or five I feel like I'm in a liberation journey also from coming out of really patriarchal conservative church and like every season is a little more liberated. So I just love that you're kicking this off. That's how it's supposed to be. First of all, kudos to you for taking time off, listening to yourself, your body, your spirit and being like, you know what? We're just going to pause. Right. Mm -hmm. And we'll come back when we're feeling it. And I'm I'm really grateful to be here to share the gospel according to sensual faith, because (laughs) it's a message that centers black women and femmes. But honestly, truly, it's for everyone. 
quite literally. <laughs> uh, and and we're just jumping in. Is that okay? Like we're not having a formal start. I think we're just jumping in. Is that Let's all right? Go for it. Yeah. You know, really quickly for the uninitiated, my name is LaVon Briggs. Yes. I'm uh, an Emmy Award winner, a Queen's girl, and a joy finder. And I'm a black woman spiritual leader who's no longer at war with her body. So I want other folks to love themselves holistically. And I just your book, like I need a stronger word than love. So many aspects of it. Like I just love it so much. I've been in training this last year for a, to be a somatic coach for women. Oh, I love so that. Of course it spoke to me, like coming home to your body. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, someone that was raised in very conservative purity culture, all of that. And sure. unfortunately raised my oldest daughter in it and coming out of that the last several years, it's like this book was some oxygen for me. So thank yeah. you for writing it um, and yeah. putting it into the world because you're super vulnerable in it. Like, it was not an easy book to write. You had to get to a really healthy part in your journey. And we'll, we'll talk about that, but I know you had to be so vulnerable for it. I did, but you know, the, the wonderful part is that vulnerability is my superpower. And so whenever I model that for other people, I actually feel quite grounded and quite strong because I learned a long time ago that statistics don't change people, <laughs> but stories do because the numbers for any epidemic or pandemic don't lie. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's easy to kind of objectify and compartmentalize things when they're just numbers, just stats on a page. But when you start to meet flesh and and blood and bone and you see it right in front of you, there's this uncanny experience where you cannot help but to identify with the humanity in another. And I believe the closer we get to our full humanity is the closer we get to our divinity. You're just saying statistics don't change people, but stories do like that hit hard. And that is like, that's why this is my passion too. And stories have changed, changed me and changed me coming out of those small white evangelical boxes of learning and hearing other people's stories. And that's what you do in your book is you intertwine your very vulnerable stories and to Mm -hmm. have found home in your own body. Like I said earlier, you know, as a white woman, I know I'm not your target audience in this book, but- <laughs> well, I'm so aware of that. Right. So I want to put that out there. However, I think I was listening to another podcast. I think it was this morning. You said something when we free the sexuality of black women, we free the whole world. So I Me think too. as white women, whoever, even if we don't identify, like it's really important. Like if we want to be free, we know this. Yeah. Here's here's the thing. Right. I've been learning from white people my entire life. When you look at the curricula that I've had to study in public school, the very white private schools that I've attended, like it's always been a very Eurocentric lens. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I shifted to an Afrocentric lens when I was in seminary and I started studying black liberation theology, womanist theology, mujerista, like you name it. If it was coming from the margins, like it was my center. And so that re-centered me in a particular way. And it remembered me. It literally put me back together to the point where I was like, oh, There are people talking about God and the plight of Black people. There are people talking about God and the plight of Black women. It's not just you're a sinner saved by grace and you ain't shit and you're a worm and a maggot and you're going to go to hell because what kind of life (laughs) is that? But that's the messaging that I was getting. And so I realized that womanism will save us all. So for the uninitiated, right, there's a 
gorgeous four-part definition of womanism um, that was a term coined by Alice Walker, prolific writer, author, creator. Um, and she debuted it in 1979. But in 1983, in her book, In Search of Our Mother's Gardens, she talks about what it means to be a womanist. And the definition that I like to use is the fourth one, which says, womanism is to feminism as purple is to lavender right? Womanism is to feminism what purple is to lavender. The fact of the matter is feminism was not created for Black women, right? So when we look at the suffragette movement of the early 20th century, when white women were marching for the right to vote, they were not including Black women in that number. And as much as we regale the civil rights movement of the 60s, Black women faced sexism at the hands of Black men during the civil rights movement. And so we're living at this intersection of race and gender and sex and sexuality. And then you throw colonized religion on top of it. Well, who? Well, shebang, right? So I said, you know, if we can unpack and unravel and take a step back and look at the most marginalized among us, which are often Black women and femmes, how can we center our liberation in such a way that what heals us is going to heal the collective? So you're right. I wrote this women for Black women and femmes. You can tell in my language, in the cover art, and in the the whole offering. Also, and there is no person, Black, white, Asian, Latina, straight, gay, transgender, non-binary, right? There is no one who can read this book and not be changed after. 100% agree with that. Yes. And it's just like, when I look at my own life as a white conservative woman raised in those spaces, all I read and learned from was white. Exactly. White men and sometimes dead white men. Right. Mostly dead white men. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so through my own journey, reading, like I have in my mother's garden, Alice Walk, like reading yeah. books and broadening that, that has what has led to my liberation because yeah. I think it's somewhere you said, despite a legacy of exclusion, black women continuously find themselves at the forefront of liberation. Like sure do. all it's in your so embedded in your DNA and your ancestry. And you want to take and that's yeah. part of feminism. Like you want to take people with you. Exactly. Like There's a comrade of mine uh, based in the Bay Area who once said, Black women have never wanted a freedom that did not include everyone. Mm. Right? And think of what Black women have gone through on this Mm -hmm. land and the fact that we still want all of y'all free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like there is a deep phobia, I believe, in white people around violence and savagery and colonizers who you know, force that narrative onto African indigenous people because the violence that was enacted upon African and indigenous folks, white folks and colonizers don't want enacted upon them. And so I feel like it's some sort of trauma. What's the book, My Grandmother's Hands by Yeah, yes, I have that book. It's fabulous. Let me get, hold on. What is his full name? Because I don't want to say it wrong. I know, I'm going to say it wrong. Esma Menekin. Are you looking it up? Mm-hmm. My you. grandmother's hands, racialized trauma and the pathway to mending our hearts and bodies, right? You do not dehumanize, objectify, commodify and brutalize people without first dehumanizing and objectifying and brutalizing yourself. Right. And the call, the theological call that I hear in that is for all people to recognize their inherent divinity, but you have to deprive yourself of your connection to God in order to be that kind of brutalizer. So no, that's exactly, a call in there too. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I mean, you know, you look at, this is so off script. <laughs> Here we are. 
some highlights and questions and we're just, it's okay. It, no, but this is such an important conversation because I've thought about this a lot as a white woman, like, and how, how many white women I know that are not healed or have had this purity mm-hmm. culture on them or, mm-hmm. had this, um, you know, body shame put on them. And so we're so wounded. And so we just keep perpetuating it whoever we can. So it's like, as a white woman, I really believe in my own healing and trying to get other white women liberated. But I think that way is listening and learning at the feet of black and brown and indigenous women. And you taking that message back to the women who won't sit at the feet of black women with us and quoting us and citing us, right? And paying us and funding us and helping get us elected and ordained. Um, But also, even though we're off script, we're still in the play. Like we're still on stage, right? We're off script, but we're on stage because when we're talking about purity culture, it is deeply steeped in the illusion of white supremacy. Yes. The idea that what is white is right or holy or closer to God. Like we cannot deny that even color has been racialized in family, church, and society. And so Mm -hmm. it's important to honor that history. It's important to remember that you know, Af- enslaved Africans were baptized <laughs> and then right above the rooms where they were chained was some sort of Protestant service going on that mm-hmm. our, my ancestors were brought over here on ships named Jesus and Santa Maria and Holy. That's right. That's right. right. You right. can't reconcile that. But what you can do is you can face it, mm-hmm. Right. And what you can do is you can identify it and you can name it. And that's a thread that you see throughout sensual faith is my ability and my power and my willingness to name what has been labeled unnameable in the church. That's right. Like you talk about on, in your book and on your podcast, like nothing is taboo. Nothing is taboo. I love that so much about you and your message. I mean, I think it, it, cause that reverberates too, to people like me to be like, no, let's let's fucking talk about this and not just push it under the table. So- right. So here's the thing, right? If most of church leadership is male, our stories, our children's stories are not going to be centered in worship from the pulpit, right? As social justice. So the fact that more women are being ordained, the fact that more of our uh, kin from the LGBTQ plus community are being ordained. Now we're starting to hear more of our truths from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting more opportunity to say, hey, our stories are sacred too. And and when we have different hermeneutics, which is uh, for the uninitiated, it's how you interpret the Bible, right? Your lens that you take to the, the sacred text of the Christian tradition. Uh, now we, we get to see it from our vantage point. Now you can have a feminist lens of the Bible. Now you can have a womanist lens. Now you can have a queer gender affirming identity, you know, lens of the Bible because it's been in there the whole time. But because patriarchy is so fucking toxic <laughs> and destroys everything in its wake, right? Mm-hmm. We've had to kind of loosen the noose of patriarchy from around our faith and say, this noose doesn't belong on my neck and it doesn't belong uh, on my spirit either. So I love that we're having this resurgence and this reawakening and this reclamation of the divine feminine, of women's stories and our legacy in the church in and beyond the church. As you talk, and I'm just like in awe of where you're at in your journey, like such a goal for so many of us. Um, it took a while, child. I just turned. 40. I know. So that that's what I'm asking. 41, I'm, so. I'm going on 50, LaVon. I'm going on 50. Okay. In a couple of years. So it's like, I wish I would have gotten here 20 years ago. Um, 
So I know your journey has taken a while too, but I'd love to know like kind of what ignited this. Like yeah. in your book, you say, I'm deeply committed to leading a pleasure-based movement Yes, that nudges current and formerly church black women, those that support us into righteous, sacred, holistic relationships with their bodies. So right. what was the fire that ignited that? Cause I know you were not born into like, oh my gosh, I love this black body. No, and- no I was born into a Caribbean family. So both of my parents, both of my parents are from the Caribbean. My mom's from Barbados and my dad's from Guyana. And they were raised in the Anglican church, which is kind of like Catholicism, but the priest can get married. Okay. And so I was raised in a very sit, stand, kneel culture, right? And I was an acolyte or a servant girl. And so I knew the kind of the rote memorization of religion. Like every Sunday morning, 8 a.m., 10 a.m., page 355 in the Book of Common Prayer, the Lord be with you and also with you, right? Like I knew that. But it wasn't until I was 19 when I went to a revival at this church that I grew up in. And, you know, for Episcopalians, revival is like a tambourine. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But it felt like a liberative space for me. And I remember I started to cry because I just felt this peace, this Mm -hmm. overwhelming sense of peace come over me. And my mom dragged me out of the church and she was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. I just know that I want to go back inside. And so in that moment, I knew there was something more to this God thing than what I was taught. I was like, I can feel in church. (laughs) I can cry in church. I can emote in church. And I don't need to be penalized, right? or or punished for experiencing what I'm experiencing. But when you're raised in a culture that says you have to put on face and you have to, you know, preserve the reputation of this family and you're a good girl, you're a church girl, like that's a lot of pressure. You never get to show what we would call weakness. You never get to show that vulnerability. But in at 19 years old, I said, no, there's there's power in vulnerability. Now, at the same time, this is a content warning for childhood sexual abuse. So if this would be harmful for you to hear, maybe pause, come back or you know, skip ahead. But I was also uh, experiencing, no, because that's passive. Uh, I was abused sexually as a child, right? By my biological father. And so to hear father God in church, but then to be being abused by my biological father, that was cognitive dissonance for me. Cause people would say, Oh, God is protector. God is provider. God. And I'm like, uh, not over here. And you know, it doesn't have to be as extreme as father, daughter incest. Right. But if there's any inkling of abuse coming from a parental role or figure, which hello teachers, pastors, priests, coaches, right? And it's harmful or abusive. We can then in our human mind, put those same attributes onto God as parent. And so for many of us, there was some fuzziness in our relationship with God. So you're hearing be pure, be holy, right? Keep your legs closed, but someone's harming you or you're being pressured by your boyfriend. We just didn't have space to have holistic conversations. So to close this part, while the story is steeped in trauma, my desire to lead a pleasure-based movement for women, particularly Black women, is from a place of liberation and hope and agency, which were not things that I had as a child. So I'm doing this for little Levon. <laughs> she is my muse. That's right. So with that purity culture, 
you were also though still raised in that I'm assuming right oh like- so I have an interesting story so I was featured in this article in Cosmo magazine it was like February 2019 I want to say okay so it was yeah the scam of purity culture yes. interestingly enough it wasn't until I got to college where I fell in with these born again Christians because I did not identify as a born again Christian growing up I was Episcopalian right okay, okay. And- so I meet not just born again Christians, but Pentecostals. And so, you know, some traditions are just wildly demonstrative. Episcopalianism is not one of them, right? And so I met folks who were scholars, who were leaders, who were playwrights and athletes, and we just built a friendship. And a lot of us were in gospel choir. And so we had a gospel choir retreat. This is the fall of 2004. And I went and it was the first time that I really got to emote freely among a group of Christians. And I was like, oh, it's okay to do this, right? Mm -hmm. And so I started going to church with some friends from gospel choir and it ended up being one of the most (laughs) transformative experiences of Mm -hmm. my life. Okay, Yeah, in terms of like, for those of us who, you know, are familiar with the gift of speaking in tongues, that was not something that I knew about growing up, Mm -hmm. but I spoke in tongues the first time I went to a Pentecostal church service. It was so wild. Okay. okay. Yes. So again, like 19 year old LaVon was like, okay, I feel peace. Like God is real in this way. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm speaking in tongue. God is real in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that's when the indoctrination started because yeah. alongside this, uh, this liber- this liberation I assumed was mine because I got to embody this practice. When it came to sex and sexuality, now my body is bad. Now my body's evil. Your body's good enough to speak in tongues. Mm-hmm. Your body is good enough for a praise break. Mm-hmm. Your body is not good enough to honor the fact that you have a clitoris <laughs> right. or, or that the drummer is sexy and you want to fuck him. Like, you know, <laughs> oh, can so I talk to the podcast? Did you buy into this? So did you buy into this or were you like, oh my yes. God, that nonsense. Yes, okay, I, bought into it. It. I was celibate for eight years. Okay. 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 Because I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't have sex. I'm holy. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so if anything about sex came up, I would run. Um, You know, when you're a Christian, when you talk about marriage all the damn time, you can't just go from worship to wedding. Although we try to, right. I guess they right. my ass. I mean, LaVon, like, let me, just a glimpse, a little Go ahead, bit. Tap in. I, I got married at 21, 22, after knowing my oh, husband wow. for a few months. Knowing a few months, because I, in order to have sex, I needed to get married. So I- Couldn't be in a bed on the file, girl. I am a child of purity culture that I wrote, heavily raised my 20, now 21 year old in purity culture. But what snapped me out of it was seeing the harm to that child, to the, the suicidal thoughts, the self-harm, wow. the shame that just- mental illness. Like she is who snapped me out to like, what in God's name am I doing? So because of her is what I'm like, no, 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 no. So that's why I really appreciate hearing your story of being in it and how you got out of it. I see, I see you and I see your daughter and holding space for all of that, you know, because there are so many of us who do live with um, suicidal ideation and depression and that's something else, right? That comes with talking about your body. Like it's not a demon, it's a chemical imbalance. It's not demonic, it's depression. Like, and we have tools and resources for that, right? So 
I want to come back to you in your marriage, but I just want to say, yeah, I don't want to center myself at all. I just want to go. You're not centering. I just, I have a question for you because I talk about in my book, but, um, when you don't talk about sexuality, you don't talk about sex. And when you don't talk about sex, you don't talk about the body. And when you don't talk about the body, that's really dangerous. Part of my being a body and sex positive womanist preacher and pastor is lying in the fact that as a woman, my body bodies, right? Like I have a cycle every 25 days. Mm-hmm. Um, I have lived through pregnancies that I did not carry to term, right? Whether it was by my choice or was a loss. Um, I have lived with STDs and STIs. Like we're not talking about our fathers getting their prostates checked. We're not talking about breast self-exam so we can nab breast cancer in the bud. It's not always about sexual intercourse. Right. It's right. about the body, right? And so particularly for women, when you grow up hearing every day, well, every Sunday, but for some of us, four times a week, child, <laughs> you know, if you have sex before marriage, you're going to hell and good girls don't give head and keep mm-hmm. your legs closed. Right. When you get engaged or married, well, married for us, you wouldn't just become some sexual goddess ready to right? So you wanted to have sex. You got married to this man. What was your sex life like with this man? Oh God, I just recorded on somebody else's podcast last week and they asked me this question. This is the second time in a week I've been asked this question. Okay, so- We need to talk about it. Vaughn, you're switching the table here. It is really challenging. We've been married 20, over 25 years. We are still married. Okay. You know, divorce is a sin too. And I bought into that for 23 mm-hmm. of the 22 of the years. So the sex, yeah. sex has been really hard and not yeah. good. And it's only in the last two years where I'm like breaking out of this and talking about it. And we're having yeah. conversations and like, even like, what is pleasure and like being allowed mm-hmm. to masturbate. So it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the last two years, LaVon, where I'm right. and, and more, mostly the last year, but really the last two years of being like, what in the, cause that's what purity culture does. It doesn't yeah. teach us about pleasure. Right. It, our bodies are shame. And then like you said, we're supposed to be a sex goddess after we get married. Doesn't happen that way. You and I and women and other women identifying people who have a clitoris, we are the only creatures in all of creation to bear an organ that has one sole delicious function. We don't birth out of our clitoris. We don't defecate out of our clitoris. Like nothing passes through it. And so that divine intelligence in our body says that God designed us to experience pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about pleasure sexually now, but pleasure is not just sexual. Pleasure is very sensual. Like a lot of people conflate sensuality and sexuality, and they're actually two different things, right? Sexuality is what's going on with your loins, <laughs> your reproductive organs, right? But sensuality is about saying, okay, if all of your sensory, you know, faculties are functioning healthily. You can see, you can touch, you can taste, you can smell. Like God put us in these bodies to live such luxurious textured lives, right? It's why you mentioned you like my background. It's the color, it's the vibrancy. Like if it were just a a boring white wall, it wouldn't pop the same. And so similarly, you can slow down and experience that cup of tea instead of burning the roof of your mouth because you're trying to drive and drink tea at the same time, right? Or you can take yourself out on a solo sexy date and not even masturbate to climax, but figure out, are there any other erogenous zones on my body that I don't know exist? Because who took time to explore their bodies when you were told masturbation, you know, you're going to 
I feel like some boys heard that like if you masturbated, you would go blind or something. I think that was a thing. Yes, I think that was a thing, right? So, and, and I don't know what we were told, <laughs> just that you don't do it, and it's like nasty down there, and cover it, and don't look at it, all that. Like, right? When actually our vaginas or our yoni—that's a Sanskrit word for womb that I like to use a lot. Yeah, um, they're they're so beautiful. Like if you really don't know what you look like, and you just have this sense that your body is nasty or gross, I encourage you, do what my friend Esty had me do like 10 years ago. Get you a little compact mirror, the one that you use for your lipstick on Sundays is fine, and go to the bathroom and sit on the toilet and lift your leg up on the tub and just look at yourself. Yes. And just, like, no, seriously. I agree. No, no, no. Yes, done it. Like, yes, yes. absolutely. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and God created your vulva too, girl. So <laughs> go ahead and just This check book, Levon, you might like. It's Ooh, called The Yoni, Sacred Symbol of Female Creative Power. And it just goes yes. back way far in history of all the like Yoni worship. Yes. So it is recognizing the beauty. Not only is it not gross, but it actually is like a, a beautiful, yes. beautiful thing. So it's like getting past the point of not even not being gross, but it's like- Right, to, to celebrate that. the beauty of it. Because we actually see the yoni figure in nature. Like as much as colonizers and the patriarchy tries to erect these phallic, <laughs> you know, shaped monuments and things, when you look at flowers blooming or when you look at an orange, like the inside of an orange, like you see replicas of our body shapes. And so I feel like it kind of goes over a lot of women's heads, just how beautiful the divine feminine figure is is and that's not our fault right but it's absolutely your job and responsibility to reclaim that yes I, I feel like I should send you a copy of this book because it has yeah this, I would love that I received that picture book of like all you're talking about and okay. like, so you might Thank get a copy you. because I would appreciate it Thank you. so one of my questions was the difference between sensuality and sexuality so you explained that so well and yes. part of that coming home to your body is like recognizing that sensuality. And like you said, like with even me with learning somatics, like mm-hmm. sitting on that t- cup of tea or just breathing in slowly and feeling things in your body. Um, so going back to your body and coming home, well, okay. I need to know how, first of all, going back a little bit, how you were like, no, fuck this. When you were in immersed in that purity culture when you were not. Oh yeah. So when I came like, out when, of When did your eyes open to like, oh my God, no more. Like that's part of your no. story. I was in undergrad and I noticed that the girls were told things like, and young women, boyfriend isn't in the Bible, right? Yet the male drummer, the male preacher, the male praise and worship leader, they had a new girlfriend every three months. (laughs) And I was like, this does not seem fair. So I started to notice that there were some discrepancies in who had to do what, where, when, why, and how. And I also started to have questions about the Bible. So, you know, we were using the good old King James version of the Bible, child. And um, I remember having questions about like, well, what does this scripture mean? Let's just say Paul, right? And the response in Sunday school and Bible study was always, well, the Bible says. And I was like, "Mm, I know what the Bible says, but what is the Bible saying, right? And so I'm like, okay, y'all not gonna answer my questions. I'm gonna go find the people who are. And so I went to visit my friend, Sean. He was at Duke Divinity School and he's like, come to class with me. I was like, okay. So they were talking about theology and the auction block that day. And I was like, what? People are doing this? Mm -hmm. So I started to discern my own process and 
I felt very led to Yale Divinity School. And while I was there is when I started to really decolonize slash liberate my faith. And when I learned Jesus <laughs> was African, <laughs> I'm like, okay, so Christianity came from Africa. So how do we end up with this whitewashed tomfoolery, right? And all of the shedding and the um, releasing that came with that. And so I started to embrace my African traditional spiritual religions and practices and sort of like blended that all together. So I would say once I realized Jesus was black and Jesus was African, I was like, that means Jesus had an African mama and African aunties and was learning African ways of being. So what did an African consciousness look like, sound like, feel like before the colonizers came. And when I started to look at ancient West African spirituality, it was a deep focus on nature and purpose and community, right? This idea of sacred and secular does not exist in African cosmology. Everything is sacred because God created everything. And so when I started to see that, that means that my body is good. When I started to learn about ancient ways of worship among women and my foremothers would bear their breasts at the sun or shake their booty in worship. When I think about black women today who twerk or whine or shake, right? I'm like, this is not new. <laughs> this is in us. It's just patriarchy and the hypersexualization of black women's bodies because of colonizers way of thinking. Um, it, it has, it had amputated us from our very integrated sacred nature. And so once I started to accept that about myself, I started to piece myself back together and it became about integration and wholeness and realizing that there's no part of me that is not good. There is no part of me that is not sacred. And once I started to internalize that, oh, well, then the church was pissed, child. So here we are writing books and doing podcasts. <laughs> I, I love it. Like, I don't identify as a Christian anymore, but it's really hard pressed to find any Christian because you identify as a Christian, yes. Christian plus. So I'm Christian adjacent. Okay. Okay. Right. So that means that I honor that there's a great tradition that I was raised in, that I come from, and there's much to learn from Christ consciousness. But to identify as a Christian in this nationalist, Western, you know, westernized way, no, that's mm -hmm. not happening. Um, and so I blend practices. <clears throat> And so I blend practices from West African traditions like Ifa, which is a Yoruba tradition, um, African traditional religions and spiritual systems like Hoodoo, which is which originated in the global U.S. South and has deep respect and reverence for herbs and for plants and things like that. So, no, by no stretch of the imagination am I a Christian, but I'm Christian adjacent. <laughs> yeah, that's helpful, but still having that perspective and, and going to Yale Divinity and it's like, you are sex positive. I mean, that is yeah. not a common thing to find it's in, not. in that sphere. And it's like, I can't even imagine the liberation if we had more voices like yours to be speaking yeah. and teaching to our girls. Like I heard you talk, even one of your podcasts that when you're a youth pastor, you want to give out condoms to the youth, like that. Yeah. <laughs> and they wouldn't let me. And I was like, y'all, we about to have a baby dedication in the next two years. If y'all do not. Abstinence only. Abstinence yeah, only. Because no. you know that works, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sarcastic. So, so sarcastic. sarcastic. <laughs> um, so one of the things, like, let's move on to being like, 
or circle back around to the body positive. Cause you say something in your book, you said you can't be sex positive without being body positive, which I think Correct. is a really powerful statement. Can you unpack that a little bit for us and like what that means to you? Sure. Uh, yeah. Sure. So a lot of people think that I'm sex positive because I want to have a lot of sex and I do want to have a lot of healthy, pleasurable, consensual, ethical sex, mm -hmm. right? I'm a 41 year old woman, got a healthy sex drive. Just, I want it also. And it's not just about sex as a woman. I have experienced so many different things in my body as a divorced woman, right? What does sex mean now that I'm no longer married? Now, am I just never going to have sex again? That's not going to happen. <laughs> and so it's basically about us constructing a theology that accepts all of who we are. So I start from a place of sex is good that sexuality is a sacred gift. It's the abuse of sex and sexuality that is sinful, evil, or demonic. But again, we can't jump to sex. You gotta first be comfortable saying the anatomically correct terms for your body parts, right? You don't have a hoo-ha. <laughs> you don't have a vajayjay, <laughs> right? You have, you have a vagina, you have a yoni, you have a vulva, you have labia, you have a uterus, like... Well, if you still have your uterus, because there are some women who are living without one. But the thing is, is that we have to get comfortable saying certain terms. Like I talk about in my book, how I went to this church and this pastor was preaching this sermon about circumcision and he did everything he could to not say penis. And I was like, how do you want to talk about circumcision and not say penis? Oh, God bless him. Right, right. <laughs> it's like, what would that have done? for the children who were present, for the elders who were present, for people who just, who, I mean, there are lots of doctors that go to church, right? They use the correct terms for body parts all the time. So to think that a doctor would come to church, hear a sermon about circumcision and not hear the word penis, that just doesn't make sense. Right. And just like it doesn't make sense for the doctor, it doesn't make sense for any thinking Christian or any thinking person of faith. So just starting to use the proper terms for our body is countercultural. It shouldn't be, but it is. And one of the other quotes that really struck me, you cannot live your best life now if you're constantly at war with your own body. Correct. And so, you know, somebody myself also has struggled with an eating disorder for a lot of my life, which I kind of I blame this body shame, purity culture, all of this. So this has also been, I'm, I'm assuming a hard part of your journey as a black woman Mm. so tell me a little bit about that of like maybe the hardest part but then where you're like really realizing like, no this body I cannot be at war with it I have to like where maybe where that statement even came from because I know it came from a place probably at being at war with your body yeah it comes from a number of things right so one having suffered childhood trauma there is just there was something that was just living in my body right mm -hmm. And it sometimes the trauma wasn't even mine. Sometimes it can be ancestral or intergenerational. And it was something that needed to be moved through and alchemized by me because I'm present and I'm aware and I have these spiritual practices. And, you know, my ancestors are like, oh, LaVon is doing the work. Like, let's heal through her. I actually had to have a conversation with my ancestors recently. Like, okay, I know I told y'all you could heal through me, but um, I need you to take your trauma back. And <laughs> like, you can heal it by walking alongside me as I heal myself and as I heal myself, y'all heal, but I'm not healing everybody's trauma no more. Right. So that kind of agency. Um, so that's the first thing is just honoring what's happening in my body. 
which speaks to your somatic self, I'm sure, right? Two is what is my family telling me about my body? Like in Caribbean culture, it is common for people to make comments about your body without consent, right? Oh, you're gaining a lot of weight. Like, whoa, whoa, like I'm away at school, you know, freshman 15 or whatever you want to call it, but nobody asked you. But the idea that people can feel like they can comment on your weight, right? to your face (laughs) says that your body is not your own and I can objectify it and I can make commentary about it as if I'm not a human being with feelings. And chances are, if I've gained weight, I'm the first person to notice. So I don't need you, you know, putting it on blast. Um, Three is what is society telling me about my body, right? And even if it's not a direct message, if every time I turn on the TV or I go to the movies or I open a magazine, I'm seeing some size two blonde hair, blue eyed chick, and that becomes the, you know, standard of beauty that I'm the furthest thing. I am 5'10", dark skin, ball blonde, right? Badass, like hip thighs, the whole shebang. Um, And so once I started to use an African-centered lens and not a Eurocentric lens, I started looking at art. I started looking at photography. I started looking at depictions of women from the countries I am from. And I was like, oh, that's my body. I was like, okay, the small breasts, the slim waist, the full thighs, the cellulite, the stretch marks, the big butt, like, oh, that's my body, (laughs) right? And so that's why it's important to honor that the subtitle is the art of coming home to your body because the role that art plays in my self-love journey Mm. is instrumental because art helps with my imagination it it breaks me out of this box of what is and it helps me to look at what can be and that too is a part of the religion and the revolution and all of that so the final thing that i'll say is how do i see myself right as a daughter of caribbean immigrants I was told that I needed to go to school, that I needed to get good grades. You know, I needed the perfectionism and the hyper productivity were baked into me. And so I had to release myself from this idea that I have to do in order to receive, even in the church, right? Do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. If you do this, you're going to hell. If you don't do that, you're going to heaven. Or if you don't do that, you're going to hell, you do do that, you're going to heaven, right? And it made it seem like God's grace and love was something that I had to work for. When the fact of the matter is August 7, 1982 at 5.19 (laughs) a.m. Eastern Standard Time, when I was born, I was born worthy. So releasing this idea that I need to do and be and grasp and acquire and da, 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 I let that go. (laughs) And now I'm like, oh no, I'm worthy of every good thing. I'm worthy every delicious thing. And so those have been some elements to help me on my journey. And all of those, I mean, it's interesting. You're saying your Caribbean culture, like that's white supremacist ideals coming Mm -hmm. down, colonizer ideals coming Mm -hmm. down, even from that. Yeah. Because Barbados and Guyana were both British colonies. So the -hmm. Queen's England and the Queen's English and all that was a very real thing. But Barbados actually um, severed their ties with England. I think in November 20. 20, I want to say it was a huge deal. Like Rihanna showed up in this cute dress, no bra nipples on flash. And she was deemed one of the national heroes. So just that moment, Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, the divine feminine is here, honey. 
That is amazing. <laughs> I, um, I could do a whole other episode on the divine feminine. Cause that has like been part of my passion and healing and like discovering that yeah. and goddess cultures. Yeah. And, um, I'll so- speak to that really quickly be- only yeah. because, right. We've talked about black women and white women. When I'm talking to, when I talk about ancestors and ancestral healing, like I'm talking to black women, but there's also ancestral healing that white women need to do. And so what I often say is while these traditions that I'm talking about are not for you, there is something that your foremothers were doing that the men were like, we need to shut this shit down. So it's probably the women in your legacy that they were calling witches. And all I, was gonna, of- I just got chills when you said that, cause that's been a really big, like yeah. Focus yeah. of mine. Cause I, I of course want to not be taking from black women's ancestors, right. but, but right. that, I mean, I just dove into like the witch hunts and the trials and mm-hmm. even in there that book, go. my grandmother's hands, like he talks about that, like those, yeah. that European, like the harm against women and the, yeah. the white women then are like what reverberated. So that's where I have to believe somewhere in my line where yeah. women being horrifically killed in those witch hunts because yeah. even as white women i know we can be like there's nobody in but there there has to be somebody way back in our ancestry there's somebody, yeah there's somebody who was doing something some what they would call hocus pocus right who they, who they were afraid of and who they hunted so do your right. spiritual quiet time and you know let let them lead you to that's yourself right. Thank yeah. you for speaking to that. I mean, that really spoke to me. That was um, cause something that's, I've been. That's what I tell white women all the time. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, I, I do appreciate you saying that. Um, so like, as you're talking and all those things that you had to come back to your body and not being at war, how the church is so opposed to that is just something that I can't, like, I'm really having a hard time with forgiveness for the church. Like, you know, like it's still like, why won't the church get out of women's pants. Like, why do we, they care so much and they're holding on to that. As I look back at my church, I feel like, and you probably relate with your, in your college years, mm-hmm. actively working against women in body and embody themselves. Because one word beloved power, right? Mm-hmm. If I can control your body, I can control your mind. Mm-hmm. And so how do I make you think that your body is bad? Oh, let me use the most sacred thing that you possess. And that is your faith. Let me create this perverted version of God to make you think that you have to bifurcate and distance yourself, right? From everything that you are. Like the function of patriarchy (laughs) is to exhaust you. Actually, that is not the quote. The quote is unearth and bloom. They're twins, Zakia and Khadija, and they focus on mindfulness and ancestral healing and mental health and wellness for Black folks. They say the function of oppression is to exhaust you, mm. right? And when I think about patriarchy, I can't remember where I heard this, but it says it harms women and children and it disfigures men. And for a deeper dive on that, Bell Hooks is all about love, new vision. Oh my goodness, game mm-hmm. changer, right? but patriarchy doesn't serve anyone. So if I am going to control you, I have to make it something so deeply embedded in you that you have no choice but to fight this thing. Mm -hmm. So our sexuality is a divine sacred gift. Our bodies are going to react to stimuli because they're designed to do so. So if my body does something naturally and God-givenly, and you tell me that what my body is doing is wrong, you don't have to beat me up over the head. 
I'm going to do that myself because I'm like, no, why am I feeling this? This is lust. This is thin. Like, no, he's sexy. She's sexy. They're sexy. It is what it is, right? Right. Oh, that's why it's been so long lasting because now you have women who have internalized that oppression and now you have women who will shame other women about their body and about their sexuality you have mothers who will indoctrinate their daughters until they come to the light like you did so now the patriarch is like oh we've got foot soldiers they're in war against themselves we don't have to declare war on them right every time you hate yourself you're doing the work of the oppressor for them yeah this has been a real common conversation with my daughter of like my oldest daughter, I have a younger one that I'm doing so much better with. <laughs> um, but the patriarchy doesn't even need men. Like it has these generations of women that are the biggest enforcers. And I see it with my own mother and grandmother. And that's one of the hardest things I think to overcome, but why it's so important when there are generations of change makers that are saying- no. sure. And particularly white women, like y'all have your work cut out for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, God bless y'all, the ones who are doing the work because- at the center of patriarchy are typically rich, straight, white Christian men, right? Men that y'all marry and give birth to and grow up in the house with. And so I can't imagine being near that kind of violent creature every day. <laughs> not not and here. Lot, and there's a lot of outlash when you decide to be the one to speak out against. Oh, absolutely. Speaks out. I mean, not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But that's why it's so important to curate community and conversations like this, because then when you feel that tingling sensation, here's the sensual part, right? When the hair is standing out on the back of your neck, when your the butterflies in your stomach, when your intuition, when that intuitive light goes off, like those are all signals that your body is responding to what's affecting your spirit. And you're like, if this message is resonating, that's because it's for you, because there's something in you that is already seeing the truth and the validity in this. You've been repressing long enough. You've been suppressing long enough. You've been compartmentalizing long enough. Like your body is aching to be your home. And this is the way that you do it by honoring that you have been force fed bullshit and lies. And that it is okay for you to construct a new theology, a spiritual path, a way of belief that encapsulates and, and envelops and affirms and sees and celebrates and loves all that you are, because if you are created in the image and likeness of God, then there is no part of you that is not holy. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'm a preacher now. I know. I wanted to say amen, but I'm like, mm, no. Amen. <laughs> I say, not my say. I mean all that. That's right. Uh, thank you for that. So the final, I know we're going to wrap up here in a few minutes, but um, this season, I, the liberation is the focus of this season yeah. of the podcast and liberation for all. So I would love, first of all, I heard on a podcast, quoting a podcast, I, I love your podcast. Thank it's called you. Social Faith Podcast. But you said you or your guests, I don't know, but anyway, it was profound. Freedom is what other people give you. Liberation is what you give yourself. Mm, so, yes. I think, um, that Goody, uh, Goody Howard. Yeah. 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 Yes. yeah. Yep. So I had this question for you even before hearing that, but I would just love to know that word liberation. And you actually address that in your book, that liber liberation, use that word instead of decolonize. But what does liberation, if that's something you're doing for yourself, what does that look like to you? I know mm -hmm. your book is all about that, but if you yeah. can, and whether that's a daily liberation or whether that's a like an end goal liberation, just kind of what comes up for you with that? So juicy and so layered. So I want to first honor Dr. Crystal Jones because they are the ones 
uh, they're, they're the one that gave me that language where if you say decolonize, you're still focusing on colonization. But if you say liberate, that's calling you to like back and forth the thing that you want to see, right? And so I say decolonize often because that's what most people are familiar with and I want to meet them where they are. But decolonize slash liberate <laughs> helps to, you know, transition the conversation a little bit. Um, for me, I always talk about as a Black woman, I want to show up in my authentic self and I want to feel free and safe and soft, right? Mm -hmm. I want to walk down the street and not worry about verbal harassment. I want to go to a party wearing my shortest booty shorts and not worry about assault on the dance floor. <laughs> I want to go to a nude beach, right? And not have some weird creep like ogling me. Like I just don't be right. I want to be free to be myself and I want to be safe in every space. And when I'm free and I'm safe, then I get to be soft because Dr. Shanika Walker Barnes talks about the trope of the strong black woman, right? And how it is, uh, uh, false. It's a lie, right? But it was something that was put onto Black women in order to objectify us and to make us focus on, you know, productive work, <laughs> literally reproducing children, our enslaved foremothers, but also just like being workhorses. And I realized that capitalism is a demon. <laughs> And when I go take a nap or take a bath or when I go masturbate, instead of giving into the machine of capitalism and consumerism, that I am healing myself and my bloodline. And so liberation for me looks like total softness, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want a luxurious lifestyle. Yeah, I want to shake my ass in a yacht on a thong. It's a TikTok sound. But like, I also want to feel good and like, I don't have to rush and like, I can take my time and I can play and I can do what I want today. And I don't have, right. Um, I'll close this part by saying that my dear friend, Ebony Janice Moore, she wrote a book called All the Black Girls Are Activists. Mm -hmm. um, a fourth wave womanist pursuit of dreams as radical resistance. And she tells us that the soft life that she is talking about is about having a regulated nervous system. <laughs> and so as a Black woman who has held my own trauma, who has held the trauma of my ancestors, what has to happen in order for me to have a regulated nervous system? Money, <laughs> ease, acceptance, love, orgasms, all of that all together at the same time in abundance. That's liberation for me. Mm. Levon, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. No, for it's true. Like it, it's like, and there's that's such simple things. Mm -hmm. So damn hard to get that in this world is is the most and so and that's the thing, right? Mm -hmm. In her book, she talks about how for Black women, dreaming is the resistance. Mm -hmm. For many of us, we've been taught to believe that it's the protest, it's the fight, it's the war. And it's, no, I'm not going to argue with this pastor. Me and my tides are going home. We're going to go do yoga and then we're going to go to brunch. Like that's right. I'm going to find an artist or a Black woman healer or um, a, a poet or someone that I can tithe to because I still believe in tithing as a spiritual practice, right? I believe in reciprocity and exchange mm -hmm. of energy and abundance and things and blessing those who bless me. Um, but I'm not 
going to do that in any space where I am not worshipped. <laughs> yeah. You need to honor me. You need to see me as God in the flesh. You need to love me. You need to celebrate me. And if you can't do that, I'm not going to be there. And that in itself is, it's a huge part of liberation to realize and recognize and name that. Yep. Um, there is life after the church, beloved. And it's good. And it might even be better. Hello. <laughs> Hello, We're going to wrap up, but tell my listeners all the places you can be found. I know I mentioned the Sensual Faith podcast. Yeah. The book is called Sensual Faith. Yeah. And I know you have other things going on too that we, people can yeah. support you and find you. So tell us For that. Sure. Thank you so much. So, uh, LavonBriggs.com, it's my webpage, website, webpage. Who am I? It's my website, my personal site where you can go and learn more about me. Um, I am on Twitter all the time. I'm lying. I'm on TikTok and Instagram. Instagram all the time. I'm on Twitter sometimes, but I'm at LaVon Briggs across all platforms. Um, if you would like to learn in community with me, I have Central Faith Academy, which is my Patreon, and that's at patreon.com slash LaVon Briggs. And one tier supports the podcast, Central Faith Podcast. Thank you for listening. Rate five stars. Um, and the other tier gets you access to bonus material like roundtables and unedited podcast episodes and things like that. And then, of course, buy the book, Sensual Faith, The Art of Coming Home to Your Body, wherever you get your books. No matter where you buy your book, please leave a five-star review on Amazon. Those reviews are so, so important for authors because it puts us in the algorithm and in the mix. And um, yeah, that really helps us. So I can't wait to hear your listeners' feedback and See y'all at the things. I'll be at the Nevertheless She Preach. Right. And I will meet you and see you at Nevertheless. I will meet you in Austin, Texas. My, it'll be my first time in Austin. So I'm okay. excited. So yes, that is September 17th to 19th. So yes. can't wait. Listeners can hear you yes. in person. Yes, you know, I'm, I'm preaching the opening worship service on the 18th. That's right. So lots of ways, but financially, the best way to support you is Patreon. Is that right? Patreon. You can also just give me money. Okay. <laughs> so what, what, how do you prefer that? Sure. I, pre I prefer Zelle and PayPal. Okay. That's my email address, LavonBriggs okay. at gmail.com. Okay. Um, Venmo is at LavonBriggs. And then Cash App is a throwback. It's dollar sign Pastor Bay. <laughs> P-A-S-T-O-R-B-A-E. <laughs> LaVon, thank you so, so much. This is, yes. um, I just appreciate you giving me an hour of your time to talk and just all that you shared. I know it's, it's changing. It's, it's giving, it's healing women. It is. I know it black is. women, especially, but it's also bringing. It's healing, healing people women. because as we heal, we heal the collective. And so we need men, we need non-gender conforming folks. We need everybody to heal. So that's why at the top, when I said, you know, you're like, you know, you don't want to be talking to a white woman. You know, there are white women that I don't want to talk to. And then there are women who happen to be white. Then I'm like, you get it. Come, come get this. I can talk, give it to you real rugged and raw the way I do all the time. We good. Okay. That's perfect. That's the only way I want it anymore. I don't want any more whitewash crap in my life. I've had enough of it. So it came to the right place. So happy season uh, launch. Oh, that's perfect. All right, LaVon, I'll let you get on with your day. Thank you again. I appreciate You're you. You're welcome, so much. my dear. All right. Take good care. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening in on our conversation. As always, you can go to the show notes to find all the places to connect with LaVon, as well as a link to order her book. And if you want to see her and hear her speak in real life, then I encourage you to join us in Austin, September 17th through 19th for the Nevertheless She Preach Conference. 
Lavon will be one of the keynote speakers and I'll be leading a workshop. It's gonna be an amazing few days. There's lots of ticket options and prices available and you can get more information at neverthelessshepreach.com.